morning, crypto. Good morning, Warriors. Hello and welcome back to another episode of your favorite crypto news channel, Good Morning Crypto, where we bring you the most relevant and impactful crypto-related topics from a top crypto research team in the world. I'm your host, Abs, joined by several members of our 3T family this morning. We got Gonzo, also known as Super G, joining us on this Thursday. Mario, also known as the Node Defender, is here. And we could have Johnny Crypto joining us later in the show, but shout out to my friend on this Thursday. I'm looking forward to today's episode. Today on Good Morning Crypto, we'll be discussing how Grayscale won their case against the SEC, potentially greenlighting Bitcoin ETFs in the USA. While tokenization of real-world assets is taking the world by storm, as Chainlink and Swift are finally collaborating on cross-border payments. And with Ripple employees stating an inflection point is coming in the next two to three years, we break down the details, showing our community how the largest financial firms on the planet are shifting now. Our show is available on your favorite podcast platforms like Spotify and Apple Music. And for those of you listening via podcast, our show is live on YouTube Monday through Friday, 11 a.m. Eastern at the 3T Warrior Academy channel. So Gonzo, there's definitely some interesting energy in the air this morning, but we made it to the live stream. So that's exciting. How you feel, my friend? And thank you for being here. I'm feeling great, man. Feeling outstanding. Good morning. Hello, everybody. Thanks for being here. Yeah, man, just some like crazy energy like all morning, but we'll get it worked out. Hopefully we don't have any technical issues and stuff, but anytime we get to be on with you, yesterday was a fun show with the 2T, and then today we got 3T with me, you, and Mario, so it's going to be awesome. Awesome, guys. And Mario, I don't know if you're you're freezing right now, but I'm going to give you a chance to introduce yourself. How you feeling, my friend? Thanks for being here. Yeah, I'm feeling good, man. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, Avs and Gonzo. Good morning, everybody in the chat. It has been a challenging day. Computers are going crazy. Uh, stress is in the air. GMC was going crazy. I don't know what happened there right after the intro. We were like three. <laughs> this is, we can only we can only laugh, but I'm excited <laughs> to be here. I'm grateful to be here and uh, I'm you know excited to talk crypto and excited to see everybody in the chat. Thank you so much, Mario. We're going to get this thing started the same way we always do by checking out our Good Morning Crypto Twitter account. That is at 3TGM Crypto on Twitter. We're at 5,200 followers. Go smash that follow button. You'll get updates throughout the day. When we look at the Bitcoin fear and greed index this morning, we are sitting at a 42. And when we check out the total coin market cap, we're sitting at 1.08 trillion in total market cap. Bitcoin is 49% dominance. Ethereum is about 19%. We've got Bitcoin sitting at 27,100, Ethereum is 1,700, and XRP, 52 cents this morning, guys. And there's a bunch of good news stories that we can get into today, but I want to get started with an interesting video from Fox Business reporter Eleanor Tourette and John Deaton. And this is also Charlie Gasparino in this interview as well, so I'm sure it was an educational experience for him. In this particular question, they're asking if Judge Torres is going to agree with the SEC's motion to appeal. John Deaton gives his answer. You know, in the last couple of minutes, what is your, you know, how far does the SEC get with this interlocutory appeal? I believe that Judge Torres denies the appeal, and I think she takes the opportunity to address uh, the distinction between what Judge Rakoff said and what she said. That's my prediction, but I don't believe she's going to grant it. So, Gonzo, you had some interesting comments before the show, and I'm sure a lot of people feel similarly that. Everyone thought the judge already approved the appeal, but what we found out is that the judge did not approve for the SEC to appeal, but instead the motion to file an appeal. Very interesting, but I'd like to hear some of your thoughts. Do you agree with John Deaton here? Yeah, I had to totally look it up, right? Because I thought that she had already accepted the appeal and then I had to go to the Second Circuit, but what she had accepted is their motion to file it. So she still has to make a decision on the interlocutory appeal. 
And so I'm going to lean on what he says. Like he's the expert, right? He's been pretty spot on. Um, and when you look at like the totality of what's been going on with the SEC and these judges and their responses and the L's that the SEC has been taken lately over the last few weeks, I mean, the denial on the three judges on the case yesterday was like insane. Like it, we could talk about it later, but like the verbiage literally shuts down any appeal that they might have on that grayscale case. Like they just completely got shut down all three judges. So um, they're just going to keep taking L's. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see how it progresses further. Mario, I'd like to get some of your thoughts as well. Everybody was talking about how this lawsuit was the monkey on Ripple's back. But after this lawsuit, we're still waiting for some big announcements out of American firms. We've got Ripple confirmed to be working with FedNow. Bank of America has shown some serious interest. But what do you believe is keeping people away from leveraging XRP right now? Ah, that's a great question, Abs. Um, I don't believe necessarily that anything is keeping people away. I think there is stuff happening in the background. It's just going to take... It's going to take time and it's going to take that exact uh, moment for us to find out about it. Um, they're only going to reveal whenever it's time to be revealed. But I definitely think that a lot of these technologies, a lot of the stuff that's happening around blockchain, like the development is happening. The things are happening behind the scenes. It's just that we are not aware of most of it, which is just how the world works. It's just how most of stuff works. Partnerships tend to only be revealed at the right time. But um, yeah, like you're showing in the chart. We're, we're at that really early stage. And so uh, until until we get like more adoption, I believe that that's when we're start to, we're start to see what people are anticipating, the massive price appreciation, the mass amount of companies and institutions working with with blockchains and, and things just becoming more clear and more trustworthy around the word blockchain and the word crypto. Guys, and we already got 160 live listeners here joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And there were a couple of big takeaways I took from interviewing Mark Yusko last Friday. One of the things that we discussed is just how early we are in these market cycles. And a lot of times we'll say something like, you're so early, it feels late. But one of the things that we can clearly identify right now is that there is no regulation for cryptocurrencies that exist today. And when regulation comes into effect, that's when financial firms were entered this market. So for right now, Gonzo, I think it's safe to say we're in this early adopter phase. Really briefly, do you believe that? Do you think we're in early adopters or a different phase of these cycles? No, definitely. Like when you look at when they talk about these different kind of bell curves or these graphs or with any kind of disruptive technology, you have like these early adopters or these disruptors that kind of knock on the door, right? Or they break the door down. And then you need traditional finance. You need that big money to come in and kind of walk through the door and kind of further the space. Because it doesn't seem like retail alone can move this thing forward. And whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, you're going to need that liquidity. You're going to need that money to come into the space to kind of take it where it needs to go, right? We're still like, I feel like we're still in this phase where we're building the infrastructure, right? The foundation. Think about like the internet and the progression that it went through, right? WWW, and then it went to HTTP, and then HTTPS, right? What was funny is I was watching Ivan, the comic creator, and he was talking about like the formation of the internet and how these uh, protocols worked together to further the space and how, I don't know if it has to do with money or what, but how like, we don't do that. Like you got like XRP army versus ETH or Bitcoin. And, and we're all kind of sometimes at each other's throats. And, but when you look at like the way that the internet was created, those protocols worked together 
they weren't like bickering about which protocol was better. It was like them working together the further the internet. And I think we're kind of going through these growing pains, but eventually we're going to get some kind of base where I think all these different blockchains connect, right? And then it's all just kind of one base layer that everything gets built on top of. Here's another interesting stack, Gonzo. Officially yesterday, we are in the longest bear market in crypto history, going over 460 days since we entered this bear market. And other bear markets in the past haven't lasted more than 320 days. So this bear market is significantly longer than anything we've experienced before. And what that tells me is the longer it's suppressed, the higher it will rise. Hopefully we can get some bullish momentum at the back of this thing. And we're going to provide a little bit of evidence here as Bitcoin holdings on crypto exchanges dwindle to 2 million, which is the fewest since January of 2018. The number of Bitcoin held in wallets tied to crypto exchanges has declined by 4% in this month alone. And Gonzo, I'm sure you remember this. We shared this tweet yesterday. I believe in the last 30 days alone, and I got to locate this tweet so I get it correctly. Coinbase has lost 10,000 Bitcoin. Gemini has lost 33,000 Bitcoin. Bybit is 14,000 and other exchanges, 7,000 Bitcoin. That means somebody is buying this crypto and pulling it off of the exchanges. Fair to say there's some big players entering this game, but Mario, I'd like to hear some of your thoughts. Do you believe the big players are starting to purchase Bitcoin? Possibly. I mean, uh, in, in, the, uh, in the grand scheme of things, crypto in general leaving exchanges is technically a good thing. It's a sign that these uh, players are not looking to sell. Um, they're looking for long-term. So any crypto that, that we see leaving exchanges is usually a bullish thing. Uh, who's buying it up? I mean, we know these ETF applications need to have Bitcoin. So it's very possible that we uh, that those players are buying up some Bitcoin. Absolutely. Um, I definitely think that they're going to be preparing themselves ahead of, of the ETF. So we could definitely be seeing that happen. But I think it's a bullish scenario. I remember January 2018. It was a very uh, like scary moment for me. Uh, you know, being so early in the in the crypto space or so uh, so fresh in the crypto space and investing in general. Once I saw that price action to the downside, I was completely smashed to pieces. But the the fact that we're in this longest bear market, I think that we're also in very we're we're going through these very special times right uh i mean with macro uh in the macroeconomic scheme of things and and what's happening in the world so i think it's only um like normal for us to be seeing the crypto market going through this extended period of of a bear market which i mean unfortunately it sucks from on one hand but it's it's actually good if you look from the perspective of uh dollar cost averaging having more time to get into the market and like you said abs this is only gearing up for a bigger explosion from the from this huge suppression. That is insane, Mario. Look at this latest statistic. Verhoofty commented, there's only 900,000 Bitcoin left on exchanges, and there's 222 live listeners right now. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And Mario, I'm going to leave you on the screen while I play this Joseph Lubin video very quickly because I think you're going to love what he has to say about Gary Gensler. Gary Gensler and the SEC are doing a great job of driving projects in our ecosystem to radically decentralize themselves. Um, I could even call Gary the uh, the shining knight uh, of decentralization. Gary Gensler, a.k.a. the shining knight of decentralization. I said it yesterday and I'll say it again. If this is our white knight, 
we're in big trouble on the decentralization side, but I wanted to get some comments out of you, Mario. We are going to get into some serious articles. We've got some Uniswap stuff, Chainlink working with Swift to upgrade their interoperability. So there is some real crypto information, but how do you feel about Joseph Lubin and the White Knight statement? Oh, wait, is that for real? Is that recent? The White Knight. And that is from a couple of years ago, but it is real. Oh, from a couple of years ago. Okay, so okay, that makes more sense because if we look at Gary Gensler now, He's no white knight, especially for decentralization. I mean, he's going after everything for being security. And so, yeah, I mean, that makes a little more sense. I, but I, I bet that his opinion is going to be significantly different now. You know, two years down the line when it wasn't just Ripple that they went after. It turns out that they went after a lot of other uh, crypto or blockchain companies and they failed to actually protect investors from the real bad actors, which... You know, I'm not going to go on to mention. We know exactly who they are. Um, I think the movement to fire Gary Gensler is only getting stronger. And um, I don't think that's going to happen, unfortunately, until we get this switch of government. But but we'll see what happens. As far as Shining Knight, he's no Shining Knight to me. I also don't think Gary Gensler is the real issue, right? I feel like he's going to be the fall man. Even if there was a situation where they pulled Gary Gensler out of the SEC, I don't think things would structurally change. I just think there'd be a new bad guy for us to say, remove the new chairman of the SEC because he's still anti-crypto. But Gonzo, we do have 236 live listeners here. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And this is an article I'm going to get into right after your statements. As Swift details finding it, that Chainlink's cross-border interoperability can be a serious solution for what they're going through right now. But before we get into that, what do you think? Joseph Lubin and Gary Gensler, are they best friends behind the scenes? What's going on here? Well, when you look at what happened with ETHGATE, I, you know, I'm sure they're, they're best friends. But I think Mario brings up a good point that regardless of who was in power, you know, this is coming from the top, you know, Operation Chokepoint 2.0. Uh, and all you have to do is like, look, and look, I'm not making this political left, right, up, down, whatever, but it's just the facts, right? Uh, when you look at the Biden administration and like the, the new tax laws that they keep trying to, to pass, you know, they're trying to crush DeFi, right? Um, and so you add... Operation Choke Point 2.0 and everything that's gone on, uh, and you add uh, Elizabeth Warren to that and how she's been totally anti-crypto, like that has been the agenda. And you're seeing this come kind of full circle with all these cases that have finally gone to court and these judges and how they're reacting to the SEC's behavior, right? All the verbiage that they use to describe the SEC's behavior, that they're not following an allegiance to the law. Um, when they get scolded on the grayscale case, right? Like they got literally embarrassed, like all three judges, like it wasn't even close. Like there was just no argument there, right? Their argument that they've been using for years and years and years about that um, you, they're worried about manipulation and the market of significant side, whatever the definitions they use, that just got blown away. Um, and so, it remains to be seen if they're going to appeal, but I don't think so. When you hear John Deaton and some of the other guys that know about this kind of stuff, I mean, they, they talk about like, there's no way that they're going to appeal this because they would have to kind of fall on the sword. And if they go up to the Supreme court, it wouldn't just affect because of the, the case law that they're using that all the regulators, the EPA, the SEC, the CFTC, they're all using this certain uh, case law that came out of the Supreme court. And if they went to go fight on this, 
they it wouldn't be just the SEC if they change it. And, and it seems like this Supreme Court or the Republicans are pushing towards that. They'd be salivating at the mouth for this to go to the Supreme Court because it would yep. strip away power from all the regulators, not just the SEC. So I don't think that you're going to see an appeal in that Grayscale case. And we're going to provide a little bit more evidence to that here, Gonzo, as we're talking about when could the SEC approve some of these ETF applications they're not going to be allowed to use the same excuse that they had with Grayscale, but will they figure out another way to deny these financial products? Bitcoin, as you might know, coming off of its best day in quite a while on hopes that the streets um, first Bitcoin ETF could get approved. And soon, Bob Pisani is focusing on all things crypto today, Bob. Yeah, Gary Gensler has got to make some very important decisions on this. So but what's next here? The ball is now in the SEC's court. A lot depends on whether SEC Chair Gary Gensler wants to fold or fight to the end. The SEC has several choices to make. The first one, the most important thing, is whether the SEC wants to appeal the case. The regulator has 45 days to make that decision. An appeal is possible, but the harsh tone of the judicial ruling certainly makes it more difficult for the SEC to appeal. Now, if they appeal, the order would be stayed until there is a decision on the appeal. But there are at least eight other applicants for a Bitcoin ETF that may have to be given a thumbs up or down in that period. The first of the applicants to file was ARC. That, uh, they filed back in May. So the SEC has a maximum time of 240 days to approve or deny those applications, including ARC, which was the first one. So the first deadline would be January 10th of 2024. If they decide not to appeal, they could go along with the court ruling and approve all or some of the nine applications for a spot Bitcoin ETF. And that could happen fairly quickly. Third, they could come up with a new rationale why the application should not be approved and dare get Grayscale to sue them again. The SEC can no longer use the argument that there is not a market of sufficient size to prevent manipulation. So what's interesting here, there's a picture that they're painting is the SEC is going to do anything they can to continue to deny these applications. For anybody who doesn't understand, Gonzo, why is the SEC incentivized to deny these products when you already have futures products existing today? Well, that's what doesn't make any sense, right? That's exactly why the judges blew it out of the water. Now, there is one more theory that some people have talked about that has a very low chance, but it's the scorch earth theory, right? Where they can't come up with an excuse to deny the spot ETF, but what they can do is recall the futures ETF, right? That's like straight up scorch earth, like just blowing everything up. I don't think that'll happen, but there are some experts that have talked about that it is an option, right? When you want to look at all your options on the table, they could approve it. They can come up with another excuse or they can retract the futures Bitcoin ETFs and actually blow this whole thing up. Now, I, I don't, I, you know, I'm not an expert, like, but the expert that was talking, you know, he just, the way that Gary Genzer is irrational and the way that he is, that's why he gave it like a 20% chance. Uh, but the other experts on the panel thought, no, he's not going to do that because it would really blow things up. But uh, I guess we'll have to wait to see. Um, I, I would probably lean towards not pulling the futures uh, Bitcoin ETFs that they're just going to kind of delay for as much as they can. And they're, they're all going to get approved at once. Right. I thought it was going to be next year because of that deadline of January 10th. But when you talk or when you listen to the ETF effort, um, ETF experts that have been going around, they've kind of moved up the percentage. I think, what is it now? Like 85%, 90% that this thing gets approved. Yep. And then maybe gets it, it might even get approved this fall. We'll have to wait to see. Uh, I haven't done enough research on their new interviews to see if I'm going to change my stance from January to the fall. 
Mario, this is something we discussed yesterday, but I wanted to get your opinion on this. We're talking about how a spot ETF could be a huge catalyst for Bitcoin's price chart. But as we look at the history of this project alone, the halving event is what really drives utility, or sorry, not utility, drives price action here. As you can see, back in 2013, the halving was a really major bullish catalyst. We actually got bullish momentum leading up to the event. Back in 2016, we got the bullish momentum just at the halving. In 2020, it was something different. We got a lot of red candles, then we took off. But as you can tell, the halving took place and we had three red months. What are we seeing here? I think we're going to get a couple of green candles leading us into the halving, and then we will have a four to five month pullback in the candles before we see these massive green candles come in. Now, Gonzo's highlighting right now how the SEC is doing everything they can to avoid accepting these ETF applications, but we know Bitcoin Supply and demand is the main factor here. And if big banks and big institutions are going out and buying large sums of Bitcoin, there's only going to be so much left on exchanges. Really quick, before you give your take, one other thing I'd like to remind you. Right now, there's only 900,000 Bitcoin available on exchanges. That is nothing in the grand scheme of things. When we have BlackRock and JP Morgan and Fidelity and Citibank all going out and purchasing billions of dollars of Bitcoin so they can offer it to their clients, that is going to be absorbed so quickly. And we could see something like we've seen in the past where we get a two, three, even four X over a 12 month period. But I'd like to hear your thoughts. Do you think a spot ETF is more important or is this Bitcoin having, is this going to cause demand regardless? Uh, I definitely think we're going to see if uh, some kind of event happen right at the perfect time, whether that's going to be the spot Bitcoin ETF get approved and all these institutions then start to buy up the Bitcoin or, you know, They've pretty, probably already been buying up the Bitcoin, uh, but obviously that's going to cause retail hype and therefore drive up the price. But I definitely think to answer your question, I definitely think there's going to be because when we when we when we have these charts and again, I'm no ch- chart analyst uh, expert. Gonzo is, but uh, we typically see a perfect timing of events, whether it's with a chart going up or with a chart going down, so positive or negative events. So I definitely think that there's going to be something that does happen. And the narrative has to flip at some point because the question has no longer is no longer, you know, is Bitcoin the future or is crypto the future? The question now is when is the flip going to be switched? Because BlackRock has entered the game, Fidelity, the list goes on. They want a piece of the action. And it just starts with Bitcoin because the Bitcoin is the leader. Bitcoin is the asset that seems to have uh, won people's uh, interest and trust. And the SEC, I think, will be quicker to accept a Bitcoin ETF than they will other assets, uh, For at least for a while we have this narrative of securities or confusion of what are securities, what are not securities, until we have like a definitive uh, regulatory framework for those, for crypto assets. So I think they will be quicker to accept a Bitcoin ETF but to answer your question, I am not sure if it's going to be the Bitcoin ETF approval that will send Bitcoin on, on, on a rampage. I definitely think it could be one of the catalysts because of how much um, assets under management these institutions have. But I don't know if it will be the one. I feel like that there's a lot of pressure right now on the SEC. And I have my gut tells me that we're going to get this decision before that um, having Mark. 
Mario, we got 309 live listeners here. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And we're talking a lot about Bitcoin, but believe me, we got XRP, Chainlink, HBAR articles ready to roll. Gonzo, I do just want to get some of your thoughts before we move on. Do you think it's more important for a spot ETF to be approved or will the Bitcoin having drive that demand regardless? You know, I think it's going to be the narrative of both, right? I know that, uh, you know, I said it feels like it could be the fall, but I wouldn't be surprised if they stall this thing out till next year. And it's a combination of the both, right? And so as they approve all of the ETFs, they combine that with the Bitcoin having narrative, right? Just imagine when they're calling their clients and their customers, they're selling them that narrative, right? They're explaining what the Bitcoin having is. They're talking about how the rewards get cut in half and they show them those charts like you're showing us, right? And they're just selling this thing. And I think it'll be a combination of things. It could be other things that come in. We could get regulation, but um, I do think it's going to be a very big narrative, both of those combined going into next year. And we got a very interesting question I'd like to address from the live chat right now is DG commented this, and this is something we've answered with Quincy Jones behind the scenes as well. Why would XRP's price rise above a dollar when its total supply of 100 billion XRP at $1 can convert and settle $100 billion worth of payments in three seconds? That's basically $1 trillion converted every 30 seconds. This is a great question. I want to give a shout out to this listener, DG. So here's a couple of things to know. Number one, 55 billion of these XRP are not in circulation. So immediately cut that 100 billion number down to about 45 billion that are in circulation. And a lot of those are in private wallets with people like myself who are not using this to, to facilitate trades. The number one thing I think you should understand when it comes to volume on the XRPL is institutional volume is the only thing that matters. And when XRPL, uh, XLM's protocols, HBAR's protocols become the standard for transferring value, this is actually perfect. How much money do you think is transferred cross-border every single day, Gonzo? I can give you the answer, but... It's trillions. It's over $5 trillion a day. $5 trillion a day. So if we only had... If XRP was a dollar and we had $44 billion worth of liquidity and we were going to do 10% of that, we still couldn't facilitate all that value being transferred. And keep in mind, it's not all going to be running on the XRPL or through an individual blockchain. It's a structural shift happening at the banks. And ironically enough... Our next article is covering exactly that, guys, where the shift is happening through multiple blockchains and XRP is just one of them. And we're going to discuss all the different factors going on here. But we already got 316 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And there's some weird energy in the air this morning because I guess there's a blue moon or an orange moon going on. So wishing everyone the best of luck. Stay positive. We're going to provide one last video here out of John Deaton because John Deaton and Charlie Gasparino collaborated yesterday, believe it or not. I don't know if he bought John Deaton his stake, but John Deaton definitely gave him a lesson when it comes to XRP and how they generate revenue. By, by creating utility for XRP, that's good for Ripple. And I think that's, I think that's, where, that's where I think you're underestimating the, uh, the potential appeal. I'm not saying they're going to win. I'm just telling you. There's something here because Judge Ray, Judge, not, not just what Judge Rakoff said, but what Judge Torres said, linking the two, linking the two that dramatically. Well, the, here's the thing. X, Ripple does it. Ripple has uses XRP for cross-border payments. It's ODL system. The utility of XRP actually existed before the company Ripple because it's Boom. a native token of the underlying XRP ledger. So that's why I say when you got a company like Spin the Bits, 
as you know, Charlie, Ellie, if, if I use my Bitcoin and I buy it, try to use it for a, a coffee, I got to wait 10 minutes to an hour. Yet the XRP ledger uses XRP and you can spend your Bitcoin in three to five seconds. And so the XRP ledger in that example is being used to allow someone to spend their Bitcoin. And that is 100% independent of Ripple. That's just one example that I'm giving. So, uh, but listen, uh, it, it, do I believe it's going to be turned on appeal? Absolutely not. Could I be wrong? Of course I could be. First of all, great comments there by John Dean. But did anybody catch this comment that popped up on screen? It says, tell him, John, straighten his... And then I'm not going to say the rest of that. But that's pretty funny that that popped up on their live stream. Gonzo, I really do just want to get some of your thoughts on the truth about this. The XRPL can actually enhance other blockchains. Ethereum, Bitcoin, Litecoin, many of the other tokens are compatible with the XRPL. And they're facilitating payments at a faster rate. So that's just one of the factors. But what did you take away from Gasparino and John Deaton here? Yeah, it goes back to my original point about uh, multiple blockchains connecting to a, a base layer to move value. Uh, but it goes to that same argument that, you know, people always get that confused, people that are not in the space like we are. But if uh, Ripple went away tomorrow, if the company went totally bankrupt, XRP would still survive, right? Just like if XRP went away or it went to zero, Ripple would still survive. There's two separate entities, right? And the XRP ledger is something totally different than what Ripple is, right? There are different things that can get built on top of the XRP ledger using XRP that have nothing to do with Ripple or build something on the XRPL that, let, let's say, is like EVM compatible that connects to Ethereum that has nothing to do with Ripple, right? Gonzo, another factor that we're going to cover right now is a very interesting stat put out by uh, the digital asset investor and one of our friends, Linda P. Jones. Guys, we are going to be having Linda P. Jones on the show again. I believe it's early October or late September. So that's a great collaboration. She's really, really smart when it comes to the financial data of just traditional markets as well. But Mario, this is what I wanted to get your comments on. Interesting IPO evaluation and discussion by Linda P. Jones at the Link2 Investor Meetup. XRP has zero value on Ripple's balance sheet currently. Now, this was before the resolution in the lawsuit, but like I just mentioned, nearly 50 billion XRP are sitting in Ripple's escrow. I'm wondering how much of that they can actually claim to be theirs because we could talk about NDAs and pre-allocated contracts, but what do you think? At some point, some of this XRP will be added to Ripple's balance sheet, and that's going to increase this evaluation drastically before the IPO. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I, I, to what extent, like... Um, I had this conversation where um, I think I asked the question when we had, um, trying to remember who it was, I think it was Tony. When we had Tony on the show, when we were discussing an XRP ETF, you know, to what extent does this uh, balance that Ripple has, you know, on their escrow, to what extent is that a deciding factor in, the, in, a, in an XRP ETF being that there's a central entity that technically has like a half of the supply or close to half of the supply? So I think that's something to keep in, in mind. But as far as uh, Ripple, you know, they've been considering their XRP as zero. Um, I think that now that we know well, that there's, there's uh, some form of a legal decision on the status of XRP, I think it will be a little bit more clear for Ripple to be able to determine how they want to account for their XRP going forward. So it could definitely be a deciding factor in, in their valuation. Um, I think IPO is just a matter of time at this point. Ripple has proven that they have a disruptive technology. They've continued to 
create new partnerships even during this uh, monkey on their back, right? This gorilla uh, or monkey on their back. Now that they no longer have that, I am hoping we start to see some of those partnerships happen inside of the United States. And so it's just going to uh, solidify Ripple's technology and Ripple's use case and Ripple's, um, you know, future. And I think it's just going to be a matter of time until that IPO happens. Gonzo, I want to get your thoughts on this article, but we got 314 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And you give me your thoughts very briefly on the IPO process before we get into the SWIFT details. Do you believe that the XRP that is in Ripple's escrow will be added to their IPO evaluation at some point? Right now, the company's evaluated at $15 billion. Their escrow alone is about $30 billion. So it's a massive, massive number. You tell me, what do you think? Yeah, so we know that the XRP has value, but they haven't claimed it probably because of the lawsuit. But now we have, like Mario was saying, some kind of guidance and some kind of clarity. So I don't know what the rules are that govern the IPO, but I would assume that if they can claim some of it, um, if not all of it, uh, it's going to make a difference in, in the IPO and the valuation of the company. I'm sure there has to be some kind of rules that they're going to have to follow through the SEC on what they can claim and what they can't. Um, but I think it does bring value to the company. It's an interesting question, but um, yeah, like we're, for those of us that are invested in Ripple, we've all been waiting for this for a very long time. And so it almost feels like, you know, we're kind of, you're running out of time to be able to invest in Ripple because pretty soon, you know, they're going to go public and then that stock's going to go up. Uh, DG asked another great question here, guys. He said, can institutions buy XRP directly from Ripple's escrow account? Well, the answer was yes, right? So every month, a billion XRP are released from the escrow. They go into Ripple's wallet and then they offer those to banks. Whatever is not sold to banks gets put back in the escrow and is released in the last month, which I believe is 55 months away or something along those lines. But with the Ripple ruling, it appears that they cannot sell directly to Bank of America. They have to go through a third party, meaning if Bank of America wanted to buy a, a hundred million XRP, they would have to approach Coinbase or a custody firm like Medico as opposed to going to Ripple. And Gonzo, this is something I wanted to show our listeners before we get into the Chainlink article. The derivatives market in the second half of 2022 evolved in the context of globally higher inflation and policy rate increases. The gross market of outstanding derivatives summed up as a position increased by 13%, leading us to $20 trillion in derivatives value in 2022 alone. That's how big these numbers get, and they do it very quickly here, Gonzo. But this is what I'm excited to show our listeners now. Swift, de Swift details findings and tests of Chainlink's cross-border interoperability. Banking systems messaging giant Swift to provide a single entry point to streamline tokenized asset transfers for financial institutions. And oftentimes we're talking about XDC when it comes to tokenization here, Gonzo. But right now, Chainlink and Ethereum are taking center stage. So on Thursday, Swift announced a successful experiment of tokenized asset transfers across multiple blockchains. A new series of experiments revealed that Swift's infrastructure could potentially eliminate significant friction, hindering the growth of tokenized assets. Now, right now, there are $622 million worth of tokenized treasuries that exist today. Last year, it was only $100 million. So in the last 12 months alone, Mario, We've done a 6x in value for tokenized treasuries existing on blockchains. Multiply that by three, I think pretty soon we're going to be looking at a trillion-dollar market. So a new series of experiments revealed that Swift's infrastructure could potentially eliminate significant friction, hindering the global tokenization of assets. Uh, as the global interbank messaging system conducted, 
Over 11,000 banks and securities institutions across more than 200 countries will play a pivotal role here. So among its key findings were a lack of regulatory clarity remaining a primal obstacle in cross-border payments for these treasuries, along with the need for data privacy, which SWIFT characterized as a fundamental to any commercial solution. SWIFT emphasized that cross-border compatibility are essential for these blockchains. Otherwise, financial firms would be burdened with complex and costly tasks of establishing individual connections to each. Now, here's where it gets really good. Investment Bank City, or Investment Bank City projects a booming future for tokenized asset market, estimating its potential value to reach between $4 and $5 trillion by the year 2030. In June, SWIFT announced its aim to link private and public blockchains in a trial with Web3 provider Chainlink and other major institutions like BNB and BNY Mellon. Now, in this collaboration, it's effectively shown its capacity to serve as a unified access point for multiple networks. It was able to conduct tests on public blockchains like Ethereum Sepolina, not too familiar with that, Avalanche, and Quorum blockchains. This is a statement out of Chainlink themselves. It's now clear that both top global banks and leading market infrastructures believe there will be greater adoption of digital assets across the entire banking industry and that this adoption will happen using multiple different blockchain technologies at the same time. The collaboration between SWIFT and over 10 of the largest financial institutions, as well as Chainlink, also prove that interoperability across chains is critical for enabling the next stage of digital asset adoption across global financial systems. Now, these transfers took place with a single public blockchain and between different private blockchains as well, but what they were able to find is that Chainlink did everything it needed to do, my friends. This is so great for other projects besides Chainlink as well because what it highlights is that this technology enhances the existing system. We're not ripping the old system down and bringing in a whole new Trojan horse here, Gonzo. We are figuring out a way to transition that technology into many of the tokens we own today. So I want to hear from our live chat, guys. Do you own Chainlink? Throw a one in the live chat if you own Chainlink. Throw a two in the live chat if you do not. But Gonzo, we'll start with you and kick it to Mario. What do you take away from all this news? Yeah, we know that one of the problems with the current financial system is all the friction. And so that's why this, this is why I'm so bullish on Link, right? With their CCIP technology, which is what they've been testing, is where we've talked about this, where you're connecting multiple blockchains onto one system so that they can move value across all of them and make it seamless, right? This is what I talk about when I when I say that they're building the infrastructure or the foundation of what they're going to build on top of. And that's what you're seeing. So it's super bullish for Link and for those other blockchains, right? Because at the end of the day, I think that's what we're going to end up. We're going to end up with some type of base layer and all these blockchains that survive, like different layer ones and layer twos are going to be a connection point. And then they're going to move value across all of it, right? That's where we're going. That's what they're building. Whether it's like ZK technology with the layer twos or the optimistic rollups that they're doing with the OP stack that, that base uh, currently built on or the XRP ledger connecting to the EVM or CCIP, right? They're all coming out with different technologies, but at the end of the day, they're all going to connect together so they can move value across um, all the different blockchains. Gonzo, I know you're the TA guy here, so I just want to ask you before I kick it to Mario. We look at Chainlink's price chart, and it looks pretty standard, right? It operated with the market, went on for a bull run. It got as high as $50 during the 2021 bull run. But here we are today, just 24, 28 months later, sitting at about 
and 95 cents this morning. So as you can tell, even now, guys, this is a classic bear market regression. 90% of the money that came in exited on the back end. And that's why we created Merlin. Shout out to my man, Johnny Crypto. But this is exactly what we look to see when we're accumulating projects, right, Gonzo? We got the 90% pullback. Now it seems we have a clear level of support around this 550 to $4 range. And then it's back up. So I'd like to hear your thoughts from a chart analysis perspective. These are the times to accumulate tokens. Am I correct? Yeah. So like if you look at the chart, like if you had a different time frame on, you'd see that it's just one big range. The support, like you said, is somewhere between four something and $5. I actually got an alert this morning because we went sub $6 because that's where my alert set. But you could literally plot it out from the resistance at the top and the support at the bottom. Every time we've touched that support, it's a good time to buy. And then it kind of moves up on the range and then it comes back down. So every single time I've hit the bottom of the range, you can see it right there. It's been a good time to accumulate. And that's usually somewhere we, we've gotten as low as four something uh, a, a token uh, up to like five something. So for me, anything under $6 is when I'm looking at it um, because there's only been a very few times since we've been in the bear market that we've been below five. So to me, anywhere between 450 and like 550 to me is a good time to accumulate. That's way below what my average is. Mario, when we're running these trials and these payments, we always talk about how this stuff takes years to develop. So I'm going to read a quick statement out of one of the leading directors at Swift, and then I'm going to kick it over to you. So about their collaboration with Chainlink, he said, our experiments have demonstrated clearly that the existing secure and trusted Swift infrastructure can provide that central point of connectivity, removing a huge hurdle in development of tokenization and unlocking its potential. Now, the reason this is so important is because if we start to see tokenization on Chainlink, Ethereum, Polygon, XDC, this is going to massively increase the value of the entire crypto market. And that's why I'm really excited. But what do you take away from this SWIFT trial and the success of Chainlink with their system? Yeah, I think that's that's massive. And it just shows the potential and the direction to which you know blockchain is moving towards. SWIFT, as we know, is this infrastructure that's heavily outdated and they're they 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 control a majority of of how transfer is is uh, done worldwide between financial institutions so on and so forth so the fact that they're utilizing chainlink to study this this move into the blockchain it, it just it's another signal for all of us to to see where where the uh, you know where the industry is moving I think that the keyword really is interoperability. Interoperability is going to be a crucial factor, in my opinion, because we need all these things to communicate with each other. And as you were discussing, uh, or as you were showing that that video from John Deaton before, where he talks about how Bitcoin can be moved much faster on the XRP ledger, it reminded me of Flare, and that's kind of what Flare was trying to accomplish with all these F assets that you'd be able to bring in Doge into the ecosystem and Bitcoin, so on and so forth, and transact and, and, and utilize that F asset in the ecosystem. And I really think that one thing I'm super excited to see how they uh, solve for it is the interoperability. It's how are the all these different blockchains going to talk to each other? At the same time, will they need to talk to each other? Um you know, that's something we need to see if Ethereum can, because if Ethereum continues to be this deciding or this uh, uh, blockchain that all major institutions, governments, et cetera, continue to utilize and adopt, 
you know, is there a need for Ethereum to speak to other blockchains? Uh, if XRPL is the one that's a, a adopted or majorly adopted as, as a cross-border uh, liquidity, then I would assume that if Ethereum is is this underlying underlying uh, blockchain that's utilized for all these different dApps, then I would assume it it does need some form of connection. So I'm super excited to see how that develops. I think that's going to be one of the major things that um, you know we need to be on the lookout for is the interoperability factor. You're spot on, Mario. And we got 340 live listeners here. First of all. Thank you for being here on this Thursday. Show us some love. Smash that like button. We love doing this show, and we love that you guys enjoy this content. But Gonzo, there was a very important chart that I'm looking for for our listeners, and it was shared by Mason Versluis over the weekend. One of the things that he's pointing out is that the treasury market is not centralized on Ethereum, guys. You're going to be shocked by how who leads the global market when it comes to treasury by market cap. As you can see, this chart speaks for itself. And I'm going to remove the smash the like button tab because our listeners already did that. One of the things that you can clearly tell here, there's only three players in this space, but Ethereum has 290 million in tokenized treasuries. Well, what does Stellar have? 305 million. Surprisingly, Stellar is outperforming Ethereum even with all these connections that we have. So what do you think is, what do you take away from this data? Is technology slowly becoming more important than relationships when it comes to blockchain development in the United States? You know, it, it might be, you know, we would hope that, you know, we place that bet that technology is going to win out instead of like the first mover advantage. But I mean, what I see is like, that's huge for stellar, but I think we're going to see this. You're going to see different blockchains that are set up differently to do different things. Right. Like some would say that, okay, yeah, Ethereum's got a big chunk also. And Polygon is like a layer two scaling solution on top of Ethereum. I wouldn't be surprised if you actually get the pie uh, Ethereum's pie eaten up by more layer twos because that's the direction they're going. When you look at what happened with base and all the new projects that came out, um, there was no issues with gas fees because everything was built on the layer two. And that's really where they're pivoting and going to. They're going to eventually do the upgrade to the data availability layer of Ethereum, which will fix gas fees on Ethereum. But for now, they're like all in on layer twos. That's why the next upgrade, the Cancun upgrade, has to do with layer twos, where you're getting the fees cut significantly. Like I think Polygon is a few dollars to use. It's going to go to cents, right? And that's going to be across the board for all the different layer twos. Plus you're going to get more transaction speed. That's why I think they're focusing on that upgrade as opposed to the, like Ethereum upgrade. You're going to get more and more things that are running through the, the layer twos, which are kind of built on top of Ethereum. Guys, the title of our video was Great Reset for CBDCs and the Black Swan that's on the way. So we got to provide that evidence there. I did just want to get a really brief discussion in here about HBAR because HBAR Foundation is partnering with a brand new company to provide a carbon credit solution. And this seems to be a narrative that's appearing for all the major blockchains. XLM is carbon neutral. XRP is carbon neutral. HBAR is really working on a carbon registry system. I just want to ask Mario really quickly. We got to show this video about the Black Swan event. So get ready for it, guys. We are going to play the video. But what do you think? Is, is this conversation between carbon credits and crypto slowly becoming synonymous here? Are they, are they basically needed for each other? I'm not sure if I'm phrasing that correctly, but you understand what I'm saying. I do. I think that – so, I mean, it definitely fits along with the narrative. So they, I, I believe that most of these conversations happen because they're trying to get inclusive with the narrative. They're trying to – uh, connect their brand like we're saying HBAR is is carbon neutral so that's going to 
push this this idea that HBAR is a green technology, that they're they're a good technology. I definitely think that the way the blockchain consensus has evolved, it's definitely become way more friendly to the environment. Um, you know, looking back at how Bitcoin operates and and the proof of work mechanism, all these blockchains that we discussed just before, including HBAR, they all operate a lot greener than than Bitcoin does. Then again, Bitcoin has also done a lot of improvements over the last couple of years with how uh, with how the the mining is happening, what kind of energy is being utilized to mine Bitcoin. So I definitely think that they utilize it more from a, a propaganda standpoint as opposed to uh, like, is it really good for, for the technology and the evolution of, of that blockchain? Definitely think it's more towards the propaganda, if that makes sense. That does make sense. That's a very good point, Mario. Guys, we got 322 live listeners here. Show us some love. Smash that like button. Here's the video talking about our Black Swan event because one of the things that we have to understand about CBDCs is they need a narrative to shift us into the technology. You move the masses through fear. And what we're going to show you right now is what could be happening to bring in this new CBDC system. Yeah. Things collapse the way that I think they will, and I think the way they want them to, to it to incite the great reset, to level the playing field. So most of the, the public who lost everything, remember most of the debt's owed to us, says fine, I'll take the CBDC as long as you're making yep. me whole, I'll sign on the dotted line. There has to be an event that makes people want the CBDC. And I really do believe that that is what they are trying to orchestrate by culling of the banks, by fraying the world reserve status, uh, the petro status and and, and dividing this country who really doesn't have what it takes right now, I think, to be united, to push back against this. All they need to do is have that event, blow up the markets. And the best part about their plan, and look, when I saw Biden say it's Putin's inflation, I said, oh, my God, there it is. Because inflation, 100% of the time, it's a monetary event. It is, has nothing to do with the war in the Ukraine. It is a monetary event. It is an increase in the money supply. We printed more money in four years than in the history of the country preceding it. I'm like, they're looking for a, 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 a villain. And so what better way to create the reset than by weaponizing the dollar, pushing away Saudi Arabia, and Saudi Arabia standing on a stage with the BRICS, the Belt Road, Shanghai Cooperation Organization, the Eurasian Economic Union, all of these countries. And by the way, the Shanghai Cooperation Organization and the Eurasian Economic Union are believed to be uh, invited into the BRICS. We're going to find that out. It was Mexico. Did you hear about that? Yes, and and absolutely. And so, what if they put like a military base for one of their, uh, you know, like China puts a base in Mexico or Russia puts a funded? Understand how Putin feels. Because having NATO in Finland, in Poland, and in the Ukraine surrounding them, you might understand how he feels. The media does a very poor job of, of playing both sides. So now we're going to get into the politics of this thing. That's really what they're discussing. We're not going to do that on our show. What I wanted to focus on was, well, first of all, we got 318 live listeners here. And Johnny Crypto, my friend, has joined the stream. So I'm going to give him a chance to introduce himself we're going to have to go rapid fire with these conversations, Johnny. We only got about 10 minutes here, but how are you feeling? And thanks for joining us. 
Busy, busy times. <laughs> busy times, but I miss you guys. I wanted to pop in for a few minutes just to, to say hello to all the Warrior Maniacs out there. We love and appreciate you guys. And I miss Gonzo and Mario and you as well. So I just want to check in and make sure you were safe down there, Ab. Sorry. Keep, continue. I didn't want to slow you down. No, that's okay. My first question is for you and Gonzo right here because he talked about what's happening before our eyes. The U.S. dollar is diminishing, and that was intentional to roll us into a new system. We often talked about the Black Swan event being a cyber attack, something very definitive, very black and white. On August 24th, the banks were attacked, and this is what happened. Instead, we're seeing something much more calculated and much more of a chess move as opposed to brute force. They're stealing our money behind the scenes. Inflation, policies, taxes, sending money overseas. And this is what he's highlighting right here. It's already underway. We don't need a specific event. The Black Swan, it's already taking place. What do you think, Johnny? You know, I missed some of that. I was like caught the very tail end of that. So, you know, but, it, you know, you're right. It's really weird that when you think something's going to happen, there's a good probability it's not. It's going to be something else. So everybody's expecting a black swan. So guess what? You ain't going to get it. <laughs> you know, you're kind of slow thing just happening as we're seeing here. I mean, the reality is it's already it's already happening. It's already set in motion in terms of, Moving away from the dollar and as you talked about, you know, taking away our buying power, that's going to happen just naturally when you shift from the world reserve currency to not. That is a monster, monster transition. And yeah, rather than do a shock and all approach, it's just going to be a very slow, gradual shift. And, and you know it because they're already talking about it. They've been talking about BRICS and the transition now for what, six months we've been talking about it on the air? that this was going to happen. So you don't need a black swan event to switch, you know, from the currency that that's already in process. Now switching to the digital piece of that whole thing. Well, that's already happening too. And everybody's talking about that. So will there be something maybe, but they're already talking about a CBDC. It's not like it's not, it hasn't been out in the public and Powell hasn't mentioned it. So again, I'm not so sure it could be one of those. Oh, you think this is coming? Well, or this is, this is going to come instead. So you're right. Sorry, Gonzo, I got stuck on the other page there. I did want to kick it to you as well. I'm pulling up a document right now explaining how Linda P. Johnson is, is Linda P. Johnson, Linda P. Jones is discussing the IPO for Ripple. You give me your thoughts and then we'll get into that. Yeah, you know, it would not shock me uh, if they collapse the markets to push us into a CBDC because we know you're going to need a shock to the system to change behavior, right? And, and uh, you know, they've got the playbook already. Look what happened in 2008, like when the markets totally collapsed right and then they had to step in and then we got into this thing where they the the fix was printing money right they kicked the can down the road so um you know with the raising of interest rate you easily could all of a sudden see one of these major banks go under and then it causes a ripple effect we we just still don't even know what's going on like with the effects of what's happening with china with their economy shrinking with Evergrande filing for bankruptcy a lot of the chinese wealth is tied up in real estate Right. Like I think 70 percent of all the wealth is tied up in real estate and you have Evergrande going bankrupt. Uh, and then you have like these stories that come out of China where their their younger generations don't want to work. They're not doing this or that. Um, there could be a, a real issue if they have like a, a, a Lehman brother um, moment in China. There's going to be ripple effects, just like there was ripple effects when we had our issue in 2008. So um, they definitely can, can coordinate something and then push us all into a CBDC. 
Mario, there's something very shocking, but it's such a subject right now. We're seeing the mass come back in America and the whole narrative about the C-19 crisis having a second run. I think it could play into what Gonzo just described there, and we're not going to get into it. I just wanted to throw that in there. I want to get your opinion on this article right here. As Linda P. Jo- Linda P. Jones put out this statement where, um, let me get this information correct. PitchBook has an algorithm that successfully analyzed 64,000 past successful exits of private companies by IPO or merger acquisition since 2018. Now, what they're predicting, this algorithm is predicting a 98% chance that Ripple IPOs. And what's really exciting about that is how accurate these results are. So I want to go to you and Johnny. Now, Johnny, you missed this part of the episode. This is really important. In Ripple's evaluation, they're currently a $15 billion company and the XRP escrow is not included in that evaluation. So we'll start with Mario and then I'll kick it to you for some thoughts. Yeah, I think that I think that that chance is when we touched on that earlier in the show about the IPO. I think that the IPO is more in the cards now more than ever, obviously because of not having that monkey on their back. But Ripple and the CBDC connections, you know, uh, Gonzo was was talking just before, and he talked about the Ripple effect, and <laughs> this could be the Ripple effect, right? Ripple getting in with all these different CBDCs and being the major player when it comes to working with the central banks on facilitating the technology for the central banks to the, from the central banks to the people. Um, and I know that, you know, we, I've talked about it on the show before that it's kind of this, uh, it's kind of this uh, weird conversation because we're so excited for ripple and crypto and all that so forth. And we know how bad CBDCs are, but yeah, we get so excited every time we see a connection with the CBDC and stuff. So, but I think an IPO, 98% chance. Um, Linda brought up that statistic, and I think that I agree with it. Johnny Crypto, floor is yours. It makes sense. right? If you're the CEO of a company and you've been in a two-and-a-half-year battle with the SEC and you've won the piece of it that most people worried about, being a security, but the monkey's still not off your back completely, you still got to go through the lawsuit of them coming after them individually. You still have appeals processes in place, which could take a next year, year or two. Of course, you, you're going to try to IPO in that portion of time where you're victorious. It makes total sense. And especially if you can do it, they're not going to do it right now. They'd be fools. You're going to do it at the height of the bull run. So you're going to, okay, we got the victory knee. We got that bull run. Uh, there's no, I'd be willing to bet my house on it. I almost do another, I think I'd do another cannonball if they don't actually do it. I mean, they they will mostly, I'd be shocked if they don't do an IPO in this next bull run. It while could the be the top of the next run, right? We yeah, were talking about yeah, that. It I really think top. it will be. I really honestly believe it, it will be, Gonzo. I totally would think they'd be fools not to do it. And Brad has already said, he wanted the IPO. He would have IPO'd in the last bull run if it wasn't for the lawsuit. So I, I don't think that 98% is probably too low. It should be 99.9%. I mean, that's what's really going to happen from that perspective, if you ask me. I forgot what you were sucking. Johnny, one there. second. Ready? Get ready for this video. This is a 10-second video, and I'm going to go to you for a response. Last couple minutes. What is your, you know, how far does the SEC get with this interlocutory appeal? I believe that Judge Torres denies the appeal, and I think she takes the opportunity to address uh, the distinction between what Judge Rakoff said and what she said. That's my prediction. Boom. Johnny Crypto, we got 30 seconds. You give me your response. You know, I mean, I, I, I kind of 
you know, I just find it awkward that as the judge, you get to decide if someone's going to appeal your decision. That just doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> I didn't even know that our court system, I'm going to be honest, I'm not a lawyer. Right? I didn't know our court system worked that way, Ab. So I still have a problem with the whole thing of the judge can decide whether you get to appeal me or not. That kind of defeats the whole purpose of an appeal. <laughs> so well, I'm it's a special appeal, like, Johnny, right? Like, because they're trying to do it before the cases, the criminal cases are adjudicated, right? So it's not a normal appeal. It's kind of a special appeal. And they still need the Second Circuit to sign off on it, even right. if she does pass it. So they, they need both. So, Abs, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to just, you know, defer to Deaton here and his expertise. I know we don't have any time left. But uh, if he thinks it's going to happen, you know, <laughs> my, my gut is, you know, I think she'll, I think she'll probably let it go through. But who knows? Let's see what happens. Thank you so much, guys. And we're going to close this thing out the same way we always do by saying thank you to each one of our guests. Thank you, Mario. Thank you, Gonzo. And thank you, Johnny. We got 330 live listeners here. Show us some love. Smash that like button. Check this poll out. 74% of people think we have, will have a Black Swan event this year. We'll see you guys in 23 hours. And like we always say, Warriors, ah, get your shit together, baby.